Hi, this is Rick Peckham, Hall of Fame announcer from the Tampa Bay Lightning and Hartford Whalers. You're listening to the Tomahawk Roundup. All right, so what is going on, guys? This is Frank Zorowski here with the Tomahawk Roundup, and I am joined by legendary voice of both the Hartford Whalers and the Tampa Bay Lightning, Rick Peckham. Rick, how are you today? I'm doing great, Frank. How are you? Good. Really excited to have you on. Uh, first of all, your career is legendary in the hockey community, so congratulations on your retirement very recently. Well, thanks very much. Enjoying it and enjoying uh, Lightning hockey here at the Tampa area as a fan and uh, things are going quite well yes they certainly are so taking it all the way back to where it all began in the uh, in the professional hockey for you you know you started out in Hartford with the legendary defunct Whalers how was your time there and how have you seen their legacy evolve since the move to Raleigh in the 90s well um, it was uh, something that uh, I got there at just the right time it was uh, the 80 uh, season Soon after that, uh, I think they enjoyed their best years in Hartford uh, with making the playoffs in 85-86 in the Adams Division Championship the following year. Um, and so at that point, you, you met a lot of people who are still active in the game. Uh, Dean Evison, who's coaching Minnesota. Ron Francis is running the new Seattle Kraken. Uh, Joel Quenville. So many others who've uh, been involved in the game. Dave Tippett has been a coach for a long time, sure. now coaching Edmonton. So you had all of these guys playing on a team that was enjoying success in a relatively small market, very community-minded uh, organization. The players are all very active in the community, um, had off-season jobs that kept them in town. We all stayed in touch. Gordy Howe was the team ambassador. He finished his playing career in Hartford, in 1979-80 and stayed on with the team so you'd run into Gordy here and there and see him at practices and so forth so it really was I think the the highlight of the Whalers NHL existence uh, in that span of the mid to late 80s and I was uh, happy to be a part of that and from what you see since then obviously Francis came back to the organization uh, you know in the early 2000s they go on to win a Stanley Cup and 2006. I think the one constant through that whole thing was uh, radio voice Chuck Caton, who came on board uh, in their first year in the National Hockey League, 79-80, and had a 30-year career as the voice of the Whalers and the Carolina Hurricanes. Legendary announcer, uh, who's the president of the NHL Broadcasters Association, and was just uh, the ambassador for hockey, along with Gordy through those times in, in Hartford and uh, with Carolina since. Yeah, and you talk about Mr. Hockey, Gordy Howe, you know, obviously may he rest in peace. And talk to us about, you know, what was he like off the ice? You know, we all know what a great player he was, but talk to us about what a great guy he was off the ice in the community. Well, he was as down-to-earth, easy to get to know as anybody you could ever come across. Uh, I went for my interview in Hartford. Uh, it was actually just a couple of weeks before the 84-85 season began. And I park in the Hartford Civic Center garage, go up to the elevator, the door is open, and who do I see? It's Gordy Howe. I was uh, stunned, to say the least, but uh, we chatted on the way to the offices, and he couldn't have been nicer. He's the kind of guy that uh, during the week you'd go to practice and, hey, Gordy's in town. Great, we can sit there and talk with Gordy for a while. And 
he would uh, talk about this year's team and maybe stories from the years past and so forth. Uh, they had a softball team in the summer with uh, Francis, Quenville, Tippett, Mike Liu, all these guys playing, and Gordy Howe. He's sitting with you on the uh, on the bench at a softball field. No kidding. Playing in the game. I mean, it was just unbelievable how much he was involved and invested in that community and still with the organization. Just a tremendous guy, and he's Mr. Hockey on top of all of that. So uh, there's never been anyone like him. There never will be anyone like uh, Gordy Howe, that's for sure. No, no, there will never be another Mr. Hockey. You know, talking about uh, after the, the Whalers moved, you, you moved to Tampa Bay afterwards. You know, what was that transition like for you as a broadcaster? Well, um, I guess in terms of uh, getting used to a market that was starting to embrace the team, it was kind of the same as as Hartford. The first few years in Hartford, the team wasn't very good. The crowds weren't great. Uh, They had carried over uh, a hardcore group of fans from the WHA days in the 70s. But uh, until the team really got good on the ice, and my timing was good to you know, come on board at that time in the 80s, uh, the community really didn't rally around them. Then they got good. Boy, I'll tell you, the support was great. We saw the same thing in Tampa, where my first year with the Lightning was 95-96, the final year they played at Tropicana Field, and they made the playoffs to the surprise of, I think, the community as much as anybody else. And it was just a tremendous amount of support a great time to be in the area and really put hockey on the map of course the following season they opened the ice palace which is now known as amelie arena so they had a permanent home and the timing of all of that could not have been better and they've grown it since then yeah it's it's become a, a staple in the national hockey league the tesla coil Everything that the that that Julian Breesbois and now former manager uh, Steve Eiserman has put into that team is showing on the ice. I mean, you look at the product and the culture that they've nurtured in Tampa Bay. I mean, holy smokes! Yeah, it all really started uh, with Jeff Finnick when he bought the team in March of 2010, and maybe his greatest strength, and he's got many tremendous strengths, but uh, hiring the right people and letting them do their job. Uh, Steve Eiserman was his first hire. Todd Lightwicky, who of course has uh, guided the Seattle Kraken, the, the refurbishing of Key Arena into Climate Pledge Arena in downtown Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's got the Kraken off to a great start. Todd was the CEO. He brought in good people. Steve Griggs came with him, who's now the CEO of the Lightning. And Steve hired Julian Breezeblas as assistant GM. And of course, Julian's running the show. And, has done a great job in getting the team over the top to be back-to-back Stanley Cup champions. So it all starts with Jeff Finnick, who had the vision for not only um, redoing, basically, Amelie Arena. There was more than $100 million poured into it over the next several years to bring in you know suites and, and modernize this and finish off that that right. wasn't done by the original ownership. And, you know, he's also got a $3 billion uh, project for the downtown area in terms of office buildings and uh, residential shopping, entertainment, things like that. That uh, it's the vision of Jeff Finnick. It's turned that all around and really made the dream that Phil Esposito had when he started the franchise of becoming a real hockey town 
and it's now certainly arrived with the success on the ice and off the ice. Yeah, it really has. And one of their key staples in Tampa Bay was a guy that we had a chance to talk to for our 4th of July special last year, Marty St. Louis. You know, how was he on the ice? You know, talk about his personality. You know, a lot of people have compared him to this 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 guy that was very quiet off the ice but put on a show. What, what do you remember about Marty St. Louis when he was with the Tampa Bay Lightning? Pretty down-to-earth guy. I remember he came in uh, pretty quietly, uh, picked up by Rick Dudley, then general manager, and really wasn't, uh, Marty wasn't really going anywhere as far as his time with the Calgary Flames. And I remember his conversations with uh, coaches early on where he was just begging for responsibility and I'll kill penalties, I'll do this, you know, put me in this situation, I'll come through for you. And nobody wanted it more than Marty St. Louis, that's for sure. And he just had, above all his qualities, for a guy who was that small um, and in a very physical era in the National Hockey League, this was before the restraining fouls had been called, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a lot rougher. They Teams got away with a lot more in terms of defending you uh, than they do even attempt to now. Right. And Marty stood up to all of that stuff, but he just had that innate ability to come through in the most clutch situations with overtime goals, uh, key shorthanded goals, uh, a big goal at a big time in a hockey game, and of course, you know, none bigger than his overtime winner in game six of the Stanley Cup Finals in 04 against Calgary. Yeah, we are but going back to Tampa Bay. That, that ability that not many guys have. Yeah, I would, I, I'll never forget the Gary Thorne call. I was, I, I think I, I, I don't think I was even able to walk at that time, but um, I, I'll never forget the call. It's like Marty St. Louis and we are going back to Tampa Bay. And that I didn't understand what was going on at the time, but looking back on it now, it gives you chills. Yeah, I mean, it, it was just such a huge moment and one of those things where in overtime you don't know where that winning goal is coming from it could happen at any time and just a great play executed by the lightning that that set that up in terms of uh, you know tim taylor backing up the play at the point it's the shot through marty's right there for the rebound and in an instant you realize the lightning are going back to tampa just as gary described it was perfect the Stanley Cup was in the building at the Saddle Dome. They were all set to celebrate a Stanley Cup championship, and Marty St. Louis had something to say about that. Yeah, yeah. Again, really ironic because he came over from Calgary, and now he beat the team that 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 let him go. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so the after 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 a while, you know, the national TV saw what you could do, Rick, and scooped up your genius, as I called it for versus an NHL on NBC, how are those national games different than the local games from your perspective? Is there any additional prep work or different type of prep work that goes into those national games versus a local Tampa Bay or Hartford game? Well, just from the fact that uh, I probably would prepare more for the opposition in terms of lightning telecast because I was so familiar and with the team day in, day out as far as the lightning were concerned. Right. So I'd have to basically put that time in for both teams in a game involving two non-Tampa Bay teams for a national broadcast. I found the games um, where the Lightning were involved in a game that I was doing on NBC 
or verses as being the most difficult because as excited as I would get normally for lightning goals and big plays by the by the team, you just couldn't do that in a national setting, right? Mm-hmm. You had to, you know, really try to be down the middle. And I found that difficult. It wasn't something that I, I did enough of, I think, to get used to it. So um, that was probably the thing that stood out to me on that. But I, I have many great memories of, you know, first and second round playoff series that I would uh, be able to jump in on and, and uh, work. And in fact, I did a couple of those games with Brian Engblom, who was my partner the last five years I worked. Yeah. And yeah, we, we just had a great time with them and just wonderful to see the atmospheres in different buildings, like out West that I normally would not be exposed to. San Jose, for example, was one of the greatest building atmospheres that you'd see in the playoffs. And and uh, just wonderful experiences to be able to go through that. It really is. You know, it's a, it's a, it's not a. I don't know if I use the word culture shock, but it's almost like, oh wow, what have I been missing? It's like when you you don't realize something until you actually experience it, and that's how the national games were in those unfamiliar environments for you. Yeah, it, it really was fun, and uh, it's kind of funny. You come out of the game, and maybe there was a tough call against one team or something, and. And it struck me one time how you come out and you're just like, wow, I guess that was a bad call for San Jose or something, and it didn't bother you. Whereas you'd come out of a game where a bad call went against the Lightning, and you're like, oh, my God, how could that happen? And the emotion that you invest in in doing games for the Lightning that you didn't have to invest in doing those games, you really didn't care who won. Yeah, that that and it, and it almost takes some of the pressure off of you emotionally because it's like, okay, I don't have a horse in the race. I can just focus on calling the game. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it was it was very different experience and after a while fortunately I got enough experience through uh the games that Versus gave to me, that NBC carried that on, and I was able to do some more with them. Yeah, really was an amazing run that NBC had, especially with Versus. But I want to talk about the final goal. You know, Braden Point's series-clinching goal against the Blue Jackets, your final goal call, you know, did, was there ever a moment of reflection in the in the immediate aftermath that's like, this is, this is the last goal call? This is the lightning are moving on, and they're gonna they're gonna go on a winning note on my last call. Is there anything? Was there any sort of reflection in that moment? At that time, uh, Frank, it was more a case of you know just my responsibilities, describing what I had to describe, making sure the time of the goal was mentioned where that wasn't obvious um, because we were calling the game off a monitor. I did have a separate monitor with a wide view and uh you know that included the scoreboard clock so i was able to get that information and you're just kind of going through your professional routine in terms of making sure that you get the important information in and i think it really hit me during the post-game show when we signed off there and the post-game show started and they invited me on set and uh, dave andrichuk presented me with a a jersey with my name on it and all of that it really kind of sunk in that hey that was it and then I walked out of the building and I'm like wow I'm never going to do this again I'll never you know walk to my car and drive home after doing a game that was the last one so I think that's when it really hit home yeah and obviously you've had you've had a great run 
I mean, what have you been up to in retirement, Rick? You know, what's life post-broadcast for you? Any new hobbies you picked up? Any more fun things you've been doing to put your energy into? Well, I think it's it's been more of uh, getting back into different sports that I've enjoyed, you know, pretty much all my life, football, baseball, uh, playing a lot more golf. My wife and I had planned to travel a fair amount, but uh, the COVID pandemic has kind of limited that. And, sure. And hopefully we're coming out of it now. We can start doing that within the next year. Uh, but just having the time available to get together with family, schedule things. We, one of our sons lives in the area, so we get together with him. He's a golfer and so forth. Uh, um, our younger son lives out in Las Vegas, so we've been able to schedule a couple of trips, and they've come east as well. So it's just getting together with friends and family, and some of those opportunities during a hockey season don't really present themselves very often. So. Um, that's probably what I enjoy the most of it. Yeah, obviously the the family thing. You know, I was taught. You know, you, it doesn't matter what you do professionally if you don't have a, a strong family there to support you. It doesn't mean anything. And it sounds like you've got that to the T with your sons and your wife. You know, just really before we head out, Rick, is there anything else you want to add for our listeners around the U.S., Canada, and beyond? Well, it's just from my perspective. Um, it's just been such a dream come true to be able to make it in professional hockey. I remember at Kent State when I was announcing club hockey and, and hoping for an opportunity and uh, was hired in Rochester, New York and spent seven years with my wife there and then on to Hartford and Tampa Bay from there. It's, it's been a great 42-year run. Hasn't been a lot of moves. It's only been three stops. Uh, in the meantime, we've been able to raise a wonderful family and with so many great friends we've met along the way. Frank, I think when you get going in your career and as you move along, you're going to find out that the people you meet along the way, the friendships, uh, the professional associations and so forth, those are the things you're really going to look back on the most is uh, you know some of the great people that you've met and some of the great people who've helped to give you opportunities. Uh, I think that's what I take with me above all. Treasure the family, the friends, the work relationships, and the personal friendships. Rick Peckham, Hall of Fame broadcaster. Rick, thank you so much for the time. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Frank.